Hello, and welcome to the Westside Church's special Monday Morning Coffee Podcast. On this podcast, our preacher, Mark Roberts, will help you get your week started right with a look back at yesterday's sermon so that we can think through it further and better work the applications into our daily lives. Mark will then look forward into this week's Bible reading so that we can know what to expect and watch for. And he may have some extra bonus thoughts from time to time. So grab a cup of coffee as we start the week together on Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Monday Morning Coffee Podcast for Monday, December the 25th. Merry Christmas. I'm going to guess that a lot of people are doing a lot of fun things other than listening to my podcast on Monday morning, but you will get to the podcast, you'll get to daily Bible reading, you'll get to it sometime today or maybe even tomorrow, and you know what? That is okay. That's just fine, but I do have my notes from yesterday's sermon. I want to give you a little additional details about that sermon, and I do have, well, Full disclosure, I'm working the bottom of a cup of coffee there. Going to need a refill, I think, to make this podcast go. But we're going to talk about Isaiah this week in daily Bible reading. But first, let's talk about having a heart for God. Let's talk about humility from Philippians chapter 2 and why I preached that yesterday. Let's get started. Yesterday, I closed out the preaching theme for the year on having a heart for God, and I was really looking for something that would fit as well with the time of year, the place that we're in, Christmas Eve especially. I knew there'd be a lot of visitors who come to church this time of year thinking about Jesus and about the birth of Christ. And I hope that it didn't offend you that I preached about the birth of Christ yesterday from Philippians, the second chapter. It just seems fitting and appropriate, and in some ways it seems so out of kilter to do otherwise. Jesus makes the comment to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7 that if you're, as parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? And I've always felt on that weekend, that Sunday that's the closest to Christmas, people come looking for bread, and then I end up preaching on Moses or something out of Leviticus or deep in the middle of Psalms, and it just seems like I'm giving them a stone instead of bread. The hope here is to do something so challenging but so rooted in Scripture that they will come and return again looking for more bread. And I know that that sometimes can be problematic for people, but I'm just not convinced that because other religious groups do something, that means we can't do it. That seems to be the guiding principle in some people's lives. If those folks over there do it, then we can't. I think we're terribly inconsistent. If that is what the Bible teaches, what are we doing in a church building? What are we doing with so much of our religious practices? For example, having a paid full-time preacher. That is it, This idea that, oh, those folks over there do it so we can't is just very arbitrarily applied mostly to something that we're uncomfortable with or to something that, hey, we've never done it that way before. The easiest thing to do is to say, hey, denominational people do it. That means we can't do it. I don't know where the Bible teaches that. I'm not sure where we derive that principle. I know that we can't condone false religion. Paul went and preached in the synagogue. Paul went and preached in Athens to in the middle of idol temples. I, I'm just not convinced that because somebody else is doing something religious, 
particularly when the Bible talks about that matter. Two of the Gospels carry the story of Jesus' birth. How have we decided, oh, because other people talk about the birth of Jesus, we'll have to ignore the birth of Jesus in the month of December. I am just not convinced about that at all. And so yesterday, I tied together the preaching theme for the year with Paul's wonderful, wonderful text about the incarnation of Jesus, Philippians, the second chapter. And I hope that was helpful to you, and I hope it was helpful to our visitors. Maybe maybe the best way for me to end our sermon notes then is a little bit from C.S. Lewis. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis because it talks about how humbling it was for Jesus to come here. Here is the quote. The eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. Thank you, C.S. Lewis, for helping us begin to scale how far Jesus came to come to Bethlehem and to be born of woman laid in a manger as he began his mission here to save you and me from our sins. Let's think a little bit more about that as we do our daily Bible reading from the prophet Isaiah this week. I've refilled my coffee, and I have my Bible open to Isaiah, the second chapter. Wow, this is a wonderful coffee from Peru, and it is just fantastic. Now, we read some from Isaiah earlier in the year. That was back in April and May. So we need to get the time frame here again, because Malachi, obviously, is the last book of the Old Testament, and the next thing that comes in your Bible is Matthew. And so if we're going to Isaiah, we're backing up. And we are. We're backing up to about the time of 750 to 700 B.C., Isaiah, considered by many people to be the greatest of all the prophets because the New Testament quotes or allude to his work over 60 times, and he just has all this messianic stuff that we're going to read this week. He is the dominant prophetic voice during his period, 750 to 700 BC. Like I said, he counsels kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He preaches to a nation that needs to get serious with God again. And he has lots of wonderful, wonderful stuff about the coming Messiah. But one of the great things about our reading this week is that we're going to do more than just read four or five verses. And you look at those verses and you say, oh, look, it's Jesus. We're going to get the context and get to read the entire chapter. And that starts today in Isaiah 2. Our reading from Monday is Isaiah, the second chapter, which contains the amazing prophecy of the wonderful future for Jerusalem. And that's verses 1 to 4. And I think the key here is that God is going to do something amazing in Jerusalem and that God is not through with the Jews. Let's remember where things are when Isaiah is preaching. Judah is a small province, a small country, and the Assyrians to the north are doing powerful things, and there's not much that Judah seems like they can do about any of that. Is God done with Judah? Are they going to be swept away? No. At a Pentecost far in the future, God's ultimate purpose of bringing all people to him through the gospel will be realized. And that, of course, it happens in Acts, the second chapter. Now then, Isaiah varies 
between the immediate crisis and the far future where there's hope for great things by talking more about the judgment to come on the people who don't know God. That's verses 6 to 22, and that's the part of Isaiah 2 that a lot of people don't read. Please pay particular attention, verse 11, verse 17, verse 12, got that out of order, didn't I? Verse 12, verse 17, about haughtiness, haughtiness and pride. What did we talk about yesterday? Yesterday we talked about humility and how essential that is to our relationship with God. Here one of the greatest of all the prophets, if not the greatest of the prophets, is talking about the very same idea. We have to be humbled and brought low if God is going to use us. And then, of course, verse 20, I love, in that day, mankind will cast away. Better things are to come when people are brought low and the work of God goes forward in the gospel. Read Isaiah 2 today and think about Acts chapter 2. There's so many twos in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 based on Joel 2 and Isaiah 2. How about that? See you tomorrow on Tuesday. We'll read Isaiah 9. It is Tuesday, and today we're reading Isaiah chapter 9. Maybe you're doing your reading while you're standing in line to return Christmas gifts that didn't fit or weren't exactly what everybody wanted. Wherever you are, I hope you uh, got some coffee. I do. Mm. And I hope that you are ready to read and work in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 opens with good news for the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. That's verse 1. These were first invaded by Assyria, so these lands have known some difficulties. But Matthew 4, verses 15 and 16, fixes the understanding of these verses as being about the Messiah, because these would be the lands that would first see the Messiah. And I think this is probably talking about the land of Galilee, where Jesus begins his ministry. Then verse 2, though, unfortunately tells us that these prophecies are not going to be understood. And John quotes that in John 1.46 and John 7.52 to say people didn't get it. People did not understand that Jesus was the Messiah. Then there is this theme of war implements being put away. This is a common idea in the prophets. Instead of war and all the terrors and horrors that go with that, peace would come in the version of a great deliverer. That's verses 3, 4, and 5. But the great deliverer is not a tremendous warrior who comes and stops all wars by dominating everybody and winning every battle. Instead, verses 6 and 7 tell us the deliverer is a child. This is the child Emmanuel, Isaiah 7 and verse 14, the child born of a virgin. This is Jesus the Christ, and the titles applied here leave no doubt that the Messiah must be divine. And then, of course, as I said, we're going to read all of this material, not just pluck out the messianic cool stuff. So the chapter then takes a sharp turn toward bad news, and there's four stanzas of judgment, verses 8 to 21. And the material is primarily directed toward the north. Don't forget that during Isaiah's time, the northern kingdom still does exist. And it is directed towards those kingdoms. Notice verse 9, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. And notice again in verse 21, Manasseh devours Ephraim, Ephraim devours Manasseh, and together they are against Judah. The important phrase here is his anger is not turned away. That's used in verses 12, 17, 21, and in chapter 10 and verse 4. Chapter 9 really rolls on into chapter 10, and we need to see that while God is doing some amazing things in the Messiah, there's that right now concern about people who aren't ready for God's work because they are not serving the Lord as they should right 
now. Maybe there's a good application of that to you and me. We are waiting for the Messiah to return. Are we are we what we ought to be? Or are like the northern ten tribes mentioned here in Isaiah 9, are we failing the Lord? Think a little bit about that, but of course we rejoice in this child that is born. This child, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. This is Jesus, and this is the fulfillment, of course, of 2 Samuel 7. Tomorrow, Isaiah chapter 11. See you on Wednesday. Welcome to Wednesday's reading in Isaiah chapter 11. This is easily one of the most powerful messianic prophecies in all of the Bible. From the fallen tree of the house of David, and of course as we read at the end of the year, at the time when Judah doesn't even have a king, it's just a pitiful little province with a governor. We wonder about that 2 Samuel 7 promise, where is the king in the line of David? But from the fallen tree of the house of David, there would come a unique king over all the world, the ruler of rulers, the king of kings, and Lord of lords. And the spirit of the Lord, verse 2, shall rest upon him. He is unique. He has the spirit of God upon him, giving him every endowment needed to be not only the king of kings and Lord of lords, but to be a good and great and wonderful king. He does not judge by what his eyes see. He doesn't judge by appearance, verse 3, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Once again, social justice themes come to the front. This king will reach out to those who are being oppressed and those who are being put down. His kingdom will be marked by peace and security for all as he strikes the earth with the rod of his mouth, putting down the enemies of God. He is about righteousness and faithfulness. And he will bring about a time, not of literal paradise on earth, but instead a wonderful time when the gospel brings peace between men and God. This is portrayed, verses 6 to 9, as the wolf dwelling with the lamb and the leopard lying down with the young goat and so forth. But of course, that's not literal any more than a rod in Jesus' mouth in verse 4 is literal. This is a picture of peace. And Paul identifies, verse 10, in that day, he says that's going on right now, Romans 15 and verse 12. It is the time of the gospel. And the gospel calls all who will, and of course, not all are going to be willing to come. Paul talks about that in Romans as well. But all who will can come to the Lord, verses 11 to 16. The idea of God calling all nations with the gospel. What an important idea that is. That's an idea that the Jews seem to have completely missed. And as we've studied in our Wednesday night Bible class, that gives Paul so much grief because the Jews aren't interested in all nations coming to God. They want to be the only ones who come to the Lord. That was never God's plan. Read the book of Isaiah. Tomorrow, Isaiah 40. See you then. Welcome to Thursday, and welcome to Isaiah 40. This is an amazing and phenomenal chapter, maybe one of my favorites in the book of Isaiah. It launches the second half of the book. While the first part of the book of Isaiah speaks of judgment and destruction due to wickedness and sin, the book now looks past those dark days to a time of comfort, to a time when God will heal and bless his people again. And the opening words of verse 1 set the tone for the rest of the book. Comfort. God is going to comfort his people. God is doing something great and new, verses 3, 4, and 5, verses that John the Baptist fulfills. 
Don't marvel at such a word and think, well, that just can't possibly happen. Things are too low. Things are too beat up. It's never going to occur. No, God is great and powerful. And this chapter celebrates the greatness of God. Verses 9 to 31 go on and on and on about how magnificent and truly awesome. And I use try to use that word advisedly. Somebody catches a football, somebody shoots a three-point shot. That's not awesome, at least not in the biblical sense. Awesome is God. God in Isaiah 40 is portrayed as being incredibly awesome beyond even our imagination. A huge part of that, note verse 12, verse 18, verse 25, is the uniqueness of God. God is absolutely alone. There is no one and there is nothing like God. If you will underline those verses in your Bible, and particularly if you're reading in Isaiah, you'll continue to look for those verses, you'll find that's a big theme in this second part of the book of Isaiah. Then finally, the end of the chapter talks about how God renews and strengthens the weak. Verses 29, 30, and 31. Maybe we read all of this about the greatness of God and how he holds the universe in his hand and no one can compare to God and we think, wow, I'm just nothing. I'm a, I'm, I'm a speck on a piece of dust spiraling through endless galaxies. Surely God doesn't notice me or know me or care about me. And Isaiah says, that's wrong. God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what you need. And God will help you put your hope in this God, this incredible God of Isaiah 40. See you tomorrow for Isaiah 53 as we conclude this year's wonderful reading schedule in the Prophets. So our last reading in our Drawing Near to God Through the Prophets reading schedule is from Isaiah 53. How appropriate and how helpful. Now, I preached on this Sunday in the 9 a.m. hour. Just love that. Got to preach on the cross in the 9 a.m. hour. Then preach from Philippians 2 about the birth of Jesus in the 1040 hour. We got the cross. We got the incarnation. Got it all in one Sunday. So I hope you have the notes from Sunday about Isaiah 53 that will help you. I'll try to keep this short. Just remember from Isaiah 53 really begins in Isaiah 52. The first stanza begins in verse 13. This text is explicitly applied to Jesus a number of times in the New Testament, so there is no doubt who the servant is. The arm of the Lord then in 53.1, that's the strength of God. Arm of the Lord stands for the strength of God. He grows up like a young plant. It's a useless plant. Maybe in your yard you've seen... Uh, Maybe like a little tree, a little sapling suddenly springs up from a from an acorn that got dropped there and it got buried somehow and watered and up comes. But you know it's not going to last. It's not going to grow into a mighty oak. It's not going to be a great tree. No, it looks like nothing is going to amount to this. He's not attractive. The Messiah is not handsome. No one comes to Jesus because he's, his physical appearance is so appealing. <clears throat> Instead, he is the opposite of what people want. He is a man of sorrows. He's acquainted of, with grief. And in fact, verses 4, 5, and 6 really are the center stanza and represent the center of the Messiah's work. He bears the punishment for our sins. And the key here is we think he deserves it. We think he's getting what he deserves. He is a bad man. He is a fake he is not who he claimed to be. He's pulling people away from God and away from true religion. He deserves what he got. 
That's what people say about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He opened not his mouth, verse 7. He is the voluntary sacrifice for our sins. He is a willing victim. And please underline in your Bible in verses 4, 5, and 6, our grief, our sorrows, we esteemed, our transgressions. This is as much about you and me as it is about the first century audience that screamed away with him and crucify him. Then the song ends in verses 10 to 12 the way that it began, shouting for joy and exalting the servant. This is the work of of God and that is ultimately what is happening. And there is certainly reference here to the results of his sacrifice. Spiritual posterity will see his offspring, the new Israel. His days are prolonged, a reference to his resurrection. And he accomplishes God's purposes. He is our substitute. He is the one-time sacrifice, making atonement for all, verse 11. He is the source of our righteousness because we can only be right when we are forgiven. And without the cross, that couldn't and wouldn't happen. And so the servant is glorified for his saving work. You just can't say enough about Isaiah 53. Preached on it Sunday, reading it now. It's an incredible and powerful, powerful prophecy, specific and explicit of who Jesus is and what he does, and most of all, what it must mean for you and I, for we would be lost without Jesus. We esteemed him stricken. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We draw near to God through Jesus Christ, who is the one who makes it possible for us to draw near to God. I hope this reading schedule this year has been a blessing to you. I know it has been to me, and I'm excited about where we're going next year because we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus through the writings of Peter and John. And in fact, on Sunday in the 1040 hour, Lord willing, Jonathan Golightly and I are just going to talk about our reading schedule this year and what we gain from talking about the prophets and look forward to next year as we think about what Peter and John can show us and tell us about Jesus the Christ. It's been a great year in the Old Testament and it will be a great year in the New Testament. And that concludes the podcast for today and of course, for the year. How about that? Thank you for listening. I appreciate so much the good comments and the good feedback that I get from the podcast. I was in Saratoga a couple of weeks ago and a lady talked with me, a couple of folks talked with me about listening to the podcast and about doing the Bible reading with us. And so whether you're a member at Westside or whether you are somewhere else in this country or around the globe and you're able to read the Bible and work along with us, we're just glad to have you. And like I said, we're looking forward so much to next year and this wonderful reading schedule which will take us deeply into the life of Christ through the eyes of Peter and John. If you like the Monday Morning Coffee podcast, of course, you need to give us a rating, give us a review. That really helps more people find it. And of course, you should subscribe or follow so that it will download automatically into your smartphone or digital device. The best thing to do, and oh, especially right now, people are starting to think about New Year's and New Year's resolutions. Tell somebody about the show so that they'll start reading the Bible with you in 2024. So... There you go. What a great year it's been. I'll see you next year. <laughs> How about that? 
That's probably the oldest New Year's joke ever. But I will see you next year because Monday will be a beginning of a brand new year. And I will see you in 2024. Until then, may your coffee be delightful. I hope your Friday is wonderful and that the Lord is with you today, all day. I'm Mark Roberts, and I want to go to heaven, and I want you to come too. See you on Monday with a cup of coffee. Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast, Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from Upbeat.io. That's Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-B-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again, with a cup of coffee, of course, on next Monday.